Hey, what's up? Hey, friend, thanks for coming over tonight. It's a great night for a campfire. The fireflies are out in force this summer. They're so surreal, like God's little flying organic LEDs. Yeah, that's the bullfrogs down at the creek. They're out in force tonight after the nice summer shower we had today. I'm telling you, my friend, it's going to be a good one. Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is episode 146, title, What Are You Doing Here? Subtitle, A Timely Lesson Learned from Elijah at Mount Horeb. Friend, let me say right up front that I encourage you, listen to this entire podcast. Don't short-circuit it. Follow with it. Stay with it all the way through to the end. On the outset, you're going to say, wow, Kenny, these are some pretty heavy things. I thought you said you're about advancing peace. Dear friend, I am, and if you'll give me a chance, you will see how the words I share with you today can be the most profound words you've heard in some time that will give you great hope to live a life of happiness, success, joy, and meaning in the midst of this difficult time, because it's absolutely possible. So stay with me. Every person I know, every person is greatly disturbed and concerned by the present state of the nation and the world. Most people I know echo the sentiments of highly educated people at the helm of our culture that this is a time like no other in history, a very bad time in history, perhaps the worst time in history. Some have pronounced the end of America as you and I have known it. The appalling overt presence and push of socialism, communism, and totalitarianism, no longer pushing at the door of our nation, but now standing in the halls of Congress and government are oppressive and are committing overt acts of insurgency and bullying. As recent as today's news, where Saul Almarova was nominated September 23, 2021 for comptroller of the currency. She was born in the Soviet Union in what is now called Kazakhstan and graduated from Moscow State University in 1989. She brazenly, openly comments and praises the Soviet economy. Amarova, who is the law school professor at Cornell University, would be given authority for the regulation and supervision of all national banks. Amarova's nomination drew immediate pushback from powerful voices who criticized her background and passed comments that indicated a favor for the policies of the USSR. Folks, this is so overt and in your face, it is appalling, and it's really hard to believe that what I just reported to you is true. But it is true. Increasing threatening speech and action from people in authority in the highest places of government, not just here in America, but across the world in formerly democratic nations is happening on a daily basis. I say formerly democratic because the present state of countries like England, France, Canada, and Australia no longer have the marks of democracies as you watch actions taken in the name of the pandemic. All voices in government are being silenced or pushed to the streets if they dare speak out against the overt tyranny that has brazenly surfaced with great bravado and pride. Others see all the signs of the beginning of the end of time as we know it, the onset of the seven years of the Great Tribulation as spoken of in the book of Revelation. A quick review of our present condition seems to point to the fact that this assessment is true. The deflation of America as the key superpower that once policed the world against tyrannical and maniacal rulers and regimes. 
which now opens the doors to the man of lawlessness to ascend to power because the governments of the world are unilaterally in distress. The rise of the surveillance state that has achieved total capability to see you anywhere on the planet. There is now nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. The deletion of the worldwide influence of Christianity in any culture. The reality that most men's love has grown cold is prophesied in the scriptures. The total absence of the Christian church in America, in the United States, and across the globe, the earthly church has clearly entered into a state of apostasy, no longer uttering any voice in any response to the culture. All of these thoughts are swirling around in the heads of so many, if not most, Americans. And it's oppressive, it's damaging, demoralizing, and destructive. I ask you, how on earth can we continue to pursue lives of normalcy with any peace and meaning when we are being poked, prodded, and pummeled by an authoritarian, overreaching world system? Against this backdrop of oppressive, smothering rhetoric and actions, if, like me, this constant barrage is taking you down, I ask you this one question. What are you doing here? God asked this single question of the prophet Elijah twice. This story in 1 Kings will give you the roadmap to a continued pursuit of a normal life with peace and meaning, regardless of these present circumstances. First, the backstory. It starts with King Ahab of Israel, who is introduced to us in 1 Kings chapter 16. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel and the 38th year of King of Asa of Judah. At this time, the nation of Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdoms, Israel being the kingdom of the north and Judah being the kingdom of the south. He was the son and successor of King Omri and the husband of Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Tyre. Ahab was a wicked king. First Kings chapter 16, verse 30 says that he was more evil than all the kings before him, particularly for condoning Jezebel's influence on religious policies, persuading Ahab to abandon Yahweh and establish the religion of Baal in Israel. Ahab lived in Samaria, the royal capital established by Omri, and built a temple there and an altar to Baal. These actions led to severe consequences for Israel, including a drought that lasted for several years and Jezebel's fanatical religious persecution of the prophets of Yahweh, which Ahab condoned. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah, the prophet of God, by the power of God, performed several miracles. He stops the rain and brings drought to Israel, the perpetual supply of flour and oil for the widow in town of Zarephath of Sidon, and the raising of that widow's son from the dead. So picking up in 1 Kings chapter 18, it says, After a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace, Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord and took a hundred prophets and hid them, fifty men to a cave, and provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go throughout the land to every spring and to every wadi. Perhaps we'll find grass so we can keep the horses and mules alive and not have to destroy any cattle. They divided the land between them in order to cover it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. While Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. When Obadiah recognized him, he fell face down and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? It is I, he replied. Go tell your lord, Elijah is here. But Obadiah said to him, What sin have I committed that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent someone to search for you. When they said, He is not here, he made that kingdom or nation swear that they had not found you. 
Now you say, go tell your Lord, Elijah is here. But when I leave you, the spirit of the Lord may carry you off to some place I don't know. Then when I go report to Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Wasn't it reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets? I hid a hundred of the prophets of the Lord, fifty men to a cave, and I provided them with food and water. Now you say, go tell your Lord, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of armies lives, and whose presence I stand, today I will present myself to Ahab. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? Now let me say right here, the first words out of the evil king's mouth, the one whose actions placed Israel in such disrepair, puts Elijah on the defense, being labeled as the evil one. This was a total perversion of the truth. Picking up in verse 18, he replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In verse 20, so Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, that's fine. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandering away. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, 
are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, Go up and look toward the sea. So he went up, looked, and said, There is nothing. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. On the seventh time he reported, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, that Elijah left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, Get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let me stop and say right here, Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai, located on the South Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. So friends, in an effort to escape this wicked woman, Elijah went a drastic distance to escape her fury, her anger, her murderous intent. Mount Horeb Sinai is where the Hebrew people entered into a covenant with God after escaping from bondage in Egypt. It's where Yahweh had revealed himself to Moses and where Moses received the Ten Commandments. So now Elijah has arrived on Mount Sinai. It says in verse 9, he entered a cave and spent the night there. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And the word here is in a demonstrative sense. It's here. It means at this place. Why have you gone all the way to the very tip of the bottom of the peninsula of Egypt? In verse 10, this is what Elijah has to say to the Lord. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Now, friend, at this point, keep in mind, we've just heard that Elijah has performed great miracles of God by this time, including the resurrection of a human from the dead, a standoff of epic proportions against 450 pagan prophets of Baal resulting in all-consuming fire falling from heaven, the successful slaughter of all 450 prophets of Baal, and now, due to the threat of murder at the hands of the wicked queen Jezebel, he runs for his life. 
His mental condition is one of depression to the point of a death wish, an overwhelming sense of the utter decimation of Israel's covenant relationship with God, a hyper sense of total abandonment with a death sentence hanging over his head. Yet listen to what the Lord says to Elijah. He doesn't lambast Elijah for his collapse or perspective. Instead, he seemingly ignores the complaint. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Friend, let me say here, the still small voice, such as the prophets were accustomed to hearing within their souls. When Elijah heard the not unfamiliar inner voice, he recognized Yahweh present to hear and answer him. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Yahweh comes right back at Elijah with the same simple yet profound question. By asking Elijah the question again, it is clear that Elijah's first response shows that he is missing the point of God's question. Elijah's journey to the mountain of God tells something about Elijah and God. Elijah goes on in verse 14 and says, I have been zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Notice, Elijah's exact response to the Lord's same question indicates that Elijah's despondency was not easily removed. Yahweh could have taken up Elijah on his earlier request to go ahead and just take his life, kill him, and get him out of his misery. The same attitude that Jonah came to over the situation in Nineveh. But, Divine compassion passed by Elijah's complaint in order to give him directions for further work in Yahweh's cause. Dear friend, let me stop and say right here, this is what it's all about. Further work in Yahweh's cause. In case you don't remember the word Yahweh, Yahweh is the covenantal name of God, God's personal name that he revealed to the nation of Israel. The generic word for God is Elohim or El, which is just our word for God. But Yahweh is the Lord of the universe's covenantal name. But going on in verse 15, so this is what God does. Rather than picking up Elijah's depression, despondency, the sense of rejection, what does he do? He gives Elijah direction for further work in Yahweh's cause. In verse 15, the Lord said to him, number one, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. Number two, when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Number three, you are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Number four, you're to anoint Elisha, son of Japhat, from Abel-Mahola, as prophet in your place. Number five, then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael. Number six, and Elijah will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. And number seven, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel. Every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Bam! The Lord God of armies, Elijah's mouth proclaimed it, but his retreat to the mountain betrays his speech. Elijah is not the only one who has stayed faithful to Yahweh. There are 7,000 in Israel who stand for Yahweh. And he reminds Elijah, you will have a successor who will prophesy with the power over Israel, Elisha. 
God's prescription for Elijah is to get back to work in advancing the cause of the Lord God of armies. In a nutshell, folks, God tells Elijah, get out of the cave and get back to work. As the story advances, it takes a unique twist in chapter 21, starting in verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, get up and go to meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He's in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. In the story just prior to this reading, it tells us that Jezebel, King Ahab's evil wife, had just had Naboth murdered because he would not release his vineyard to convert for use as a vegetable garden because it was next door to the royal palace. Picking up in verse 19 of chapter 21, tell him, this is what the Lord says. Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, So my enemy, you found me, have you? He replied, I have found you because you devoted yourself to do what is evil in the Lord's sight. This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on you and will eradicate your descendants. I will wipe out all of Ahab's males, both slave and free in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have angered me and caused Israel to sin. The Lord also speaks of Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel. Anyone who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds will eat. Still, there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what is evil in the Lord's sight because his wife Jezebel incited him. He committed the most detestable acts by following idols as the Amorites had, whom the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth over his body and fasted. He lay down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring the disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring the disaster on his house during his son's lifetime. Wow, Jezebel did not succeed in killing Elijah. The most wicked king to date responded to the condemnation of God and truly repented, which caused God to give a reprieve against the promised disaster and judgment of his wicked rule. And God's kingdom work is still on the move to this day. And Jezebel... Well, she lived 10 years after the death of Ahab, but Elijah's prophecy against this instigator of evil and pagan worship met her match. God did to her exactly as the prophet prophesied. In verse 30, it says, Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, I remind you, as we read earlier in the story, Jehu is the executioner of those in opposition to Yahweh. Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him. And he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field and the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. Friend, the end. God's plan is advanced. His enemies are destroyed. 
We win. Let me remind you, we win. So I ask you, what are you doing here? We think we know what the score is. We think we have the enemy and God figured out. We think we are the only one who is zealous for God. We think that the end of God's covenant to his people is over, done away with, collapsed. We think the enemy has our number and will successfully take us down and destroy our future. Yet, what about the Lord of armies? What about his remnant of devoted followers who do exist in this land? What about his mission? It's time to walk by faith and obedience, leave the cave, and get back to the work for Jesus. So I ask you, what are you doing here? And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.